Good morning. We are been in a series on answering questions about the Holy Spirit. And hopefully we've helped you in some way. We've, we've talked about, you know, what is the Holy Spirit? Um, what does the Holy Spirit do? How do I live a, a Spirit-filled life? And today we're going to end with the question of why do I need the Holy Spirit? Because we've talked about it. People say, well, what is it? And then they learn about it. But, but why is it important? There is a war that is going on in our culture that started, by the way, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It's been a battle between God and Satan, good and evil. It's been an attack upon God's good creation and humanity. Many of us, we grew up in towns and cities, maybe, where most of the people in that place were what we call Christians. Um, you know, it didn't mean that we were perfect. In fact, we were far from it. But we at least believed that, that our next-door neighbors, the people that we worked with, the people we went to school with, our community leaders, that they were good folks. These were people who, for the most part, believed in God. They went to church regularly. They lived by a certain standard of morality. We assumed that we always would live in a country like that. We assumed that our children would grow up and they would be good church-going people and they would live by the same code of standards and morality that we did. And along the way, we lost perspective of the enemy. I really believe that. We began to see the enemy in the Christian nation not as those things, but it's got to be something else. And so some of you, you know what I'm talking about when I say you grew up in a time when, when communism was considered the greatest enemy to our country. I remember growing up as a teenager and hearing that heavy metal rock band, that is our greatest foe. And then we heard that it, it's a particular political party. That is the greatest threat to Christianity. And today, honestly, if we, if we said what is the greatest enemy, I think without people saying it consciously but subconsciously, it's just anybody that disagrees with you. But the Bible tells us exactly who the enemy is. And we need to understand who it is. It is the world, it is the flesh, and it's the devil. They had crept into our country, they crept into our towns, into our homes, and yes, they've even crept into our churches. Over the last few years, we have struggled to know what is truth. I mean, how many times have we had these debates of what is true, what's, that's the real battleground that's happening right now. What is true and what's not true. Over the last few years, we have, we have struggled to realize that we live in Satan's domain. It is Jesus who said that Satan is a liar. 
He's the father of lies. The truth is not in him. Right? And it's not a, a, a creature that was made up by the ancients so that we would act better. The devil is real. Jesus says he is the ruler of this world. He is not a myth. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is behind all the evil in the world. And we feel the mental strain. We feel the inner tension. We understand the struggle in trying to do what is right because of our enemy. We have become a culture that accepts anything, everything. And it would be easy for us to blame this current generation. It's all their fault, right? But let me tell you something. This goes way back. You know, it was the 1960s. You began hearing about the sexual revolution. It was during that time premarital sex was no longer looked down upon. Unmarried couples began living together. It was when abortion and no-fault divorces became legalized. Then there was this push uh, for the LGBTQ community to be just accepted by people. You didn't even have to agree with them, just that we need to accept them as to who they are. And of course, that went from there to some, and I'm not even going to say it's all that had been a part of that or who identifies in that way. It began to be more about you, everybody has to celebrate us. Everybody has to agree with us. Even to a point of we will be violent. We will take away your children. We will do awful things. We now have this push to redefine a man and a woman. And, and it's defined, in, instead of biology, it's going to be defined on how I feel. And because of that, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. And, and so we take healthy humans, and we try to change their sex parts in order for them to... to feel like another gender or more like another gender or you may have seen this to help a man be able to have a baby and to nurse this is the these are the common things that we hear from our culture follow your heart your heart wants what it wants by the way you ought to look up the or where these phrases originate you probably would never want to say them again you do you. And I really like this one. Speak your truth. In other words, truth is based on what I believe it is supposed to be. But here's the thing. I get it. I mean, why would we expect people who do not believe in God, that do not follow Jesus, to have the same type of morality or, or moral basis that we do? Why, why would we think that? And we shouldn't think that. Even Paul says that in, in 1 Corinthians. But we're asking the wrong question. The real question we need to be asking is, are those things that are happening in our culture, are they making us better people? Are we happier? Are we more loving? 
Because despite all the freedoms that we have for people to do whatever they want to do, studies show that happiness has been in a decline in the U.S. since the 1960s, which just so happened to be the beginning of the sexual revolution. Those who cohabitate before marriage. The big push is, you know, you should be able to, this, this will help your marriage, not hurt your marriage. But the, the studies all show that cohabitation before marriage, you're less likely to get married, you are, are not to get married, or more likely to get a divorce if you do, and often develop long-term trust issues. Research shows that there's two chemicals that are released in our bodies during sex, and it causes us to bond to another person, but the more sexual partners you have, the less capacity your body has for intimacy. Also, there's much documented data that shows that the effects of abortion really affects women mentally and physically, and they're not going to tell you that in the news, but believe me, the research is there. Sex assignment surgery and hormone therapy, which is for people who identify as trans people, what, it, what they find is it does not have a, a, an emotional benefit. It, it's not doing what they're saying that it's going to do. Pornography changes the chemistry of your brain. It hijacks the brain's reward system with unnatural prolonged dopamine levels. The brain physically deteriorates in shape and size and chemical balance. You see, you don't have to believe in God to believe that there are lies that have been told. We have been deceived in our world to think that this is going to make us better, happier, greater than we were before. And the studies show it's just not the same. And let me say this, it doesn't mean that certain things didn't need to progress. We've needed to progress over the years. What our country did to, to black people in our country is just an abomination. A male-dominated society, they got away with some horrible treatment of women. The physical... And the mental abuse that some people have put the LGBTQ people in in our country, it is ungodly. You see, we are followers of Jesus. We are to be people of compassion and people who love others despite the fact we disagree with them. But not everything leads to health and happiness, does it? Satan uses our desires, our feelings, and incorrect thinking in order to destroy us. And what I'm telling you, folks, it's just it's ancient history. Go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to speed through some verses here. But Genesis chapter 3, we are introduced at the very beginning to this, the one who is the serpent. We learn it is the devil. And it says that he's more crafty or he's more deceptive. Or he's more cunning than all the other beasts that the Lord God had made. And when he comes to Eve and he tempts her, it's very subtle. Look at what he goes on to say in verse, verse 1. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And when, but then he gets, he gets very bold by the time you get into verse 4. But the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, uh, knowing good and evil. So, 
what's happening here, he is trying to put into the mind of humanity this idea that God is not as good as he claims to be. That you know what's best. And if you do it your way, that's going to be the better way. And it's not just Satan that we're battling and the lies and the deceptions that he gives, which a lot of times are half-truths. We also have to battle our own selves, our own flesh, right? Because what do you, what do you see in verse 6? When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And that's when she took it and she ate and she, she gave to her husband. Go over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus is ours, just hours from dying on the cross. He is meeting with his disciples and they are, they've got a lot of anxiety. Because Jesus had told them in the first uh, and he just told them he's going to be going in and he's going to be dying. Here in those first three verses, he's trying to help them with it. And they needed more. They needed more than just, don't worry, I'll be coming back. And so he goes on and he tells them about another who is going to come. So beginning in verse 16 of John 14, he says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of what? Truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit is truth. He is the spirit of truth. Now what did we already learn, which comes just a few pages before this, in John, we learn that Satan is the father of lies. And he says there that there is no truth in him. And what John is doing in his book, he's setting up these contrasts, and this is a contrast. And he's saying, you have to decide. Are you going to follow the Holy Spirit, who is truth, or are you going to follow the ways of, the sa of Satan, who there is no truth, but he continues to feed you lies and deceptions? We have to determine those things. You see, all of us have the capacity to do evil. Did you know that? You may say, well, <laughs> not me. I'm not like the you know, people over in jail. Listen, you may just not have been in a situation where you found yourself tempted in such a way. But let me tell you, we all are, are capable of doing horrible things. Do you think the, the, the Germans, that they had something in their DNA that made them follow Hitler that the rest of us would say, oh, no, I never would have done anything like that? Listen, they were a cultured society. The Reformation movement was born right there in Germany. What happened? They began to sell them lies and deceptions about nationalism, about race, and even about God. We are bombarded every single day with lies and false information. And over the last few years, we have seen this. I don't care who you are, you need to listen to this. We've seen those who did not tell full truths or just all out lies in conservative and in liberal media. How many lies have been told by our government? 
How many lies have been told by conspiracy theorists? How many lies are we going to hear now that the presidential, the presidential uh, folks are, and debates and so forth are, are heating up? How many deceptions are we going to hear? If you live on social media, let me tell you something. It may not be all of it, but you are scrolling through lies and deception. So I need the spirit of truth. He communicates the truth about God. Jesus, in verse 6, he says, I am the truth. Therefore, God's spirit sustains Jesus' work. But Jesus warned us. He says, the world is not going to love the truth of the spirit. It's not going to love the truth of Jesus. Folks, we see this every day. But we need the Holy Spirit ourselves in order to fight the lies and the deceptions of the world and of Satan and even of our own selves and our own desires and yearnings to do things that are wrong. Having the inspired Word of God is good. It's needed. It really is. But I'm here to tell you, this alone is not going to give you the power you need to overcome. And that may sound sacrilegious. Let me ask you something. The people of God that we read in the First Testament, what did, what did they have? They had Scripture. And whether you under, realize it or not, much of what we read in the Old Testament and the way God says He wants us to live our lives is repeated in the New Testament. Listen to the prophets. Listen to what they said as to why the Holy Spirit needed to come. He says, because the problem is your hearts. You need the law written in your heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you, because you so you can walk in my statutes, so you can obey my rules. In other words, they didn't need more books of the Bible. They didn't need... You know, uh, more rules, better, better instruction. They needed the Holy Spirit to indwell them, to empower them, to do the things that God wants us to do and how to live our lives. Go to Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4 is really interesting. This comes, I mean, right off of the hills of Jesus being baptized. And when he is baptized, it says the Spirit of God comes and rests upon him. He comes and dwells in him. And so verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. The Spirit's leading him now. But notice he leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, there's a whole lot that's going on here, folks. Um, there, um, Jesus, is the coming, Jesus is coming as the, the second Adam. He is coming to do what, what Adam had failed to do, which was to have a face down with Satan and not give in. And he's not in a garden. We see he's over here in a wilderness because the wilderness is symbolic of exile out of Eden. 
It is exile because of our sinfulness. And Jesus is not feasting on on fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In fact, it says that he's fasting. And what that really means is that he's feeding on the Holy Spirit. He's feeding on the Spirit so he can combat Satan. Because Satan comes at him just exactly the way he came at Eve. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Watch this in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If. When he was baptized, there was this voice that came from heaven. It's the very last verse of chapter 3. And it's the Father. He says, You are, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And Satan comes to say, are you really? Are you really? And Jesus just continued to deal with each one of these temptations, which were very cunning and deceptive and powerful, and Jesus breaks them down with Scripture. He wins. You want to know how to overcome Satan... You want to know how to overcome the world and our fleshly desires, then you look back into this text. Whether you realize it or not, he, Jesus is demonstrating to us how to beat Satan with spiritual disciplines. And one of those is silence and solitude. Jesus goes out to a place. He gets away from the noise. He doesn't have people coming and talking to him, asking him questions. Jesus is not reading the newspaper He's not scrolling through social media. It is a means of sorting out the voice of God and the voice of Satan. Quiet time allows our mind to be filled with the Spirit and His truth. It softens our heart to do His will and to hear His guidance. Another thing we see is prayer and fasting. Now, when you fast, you have more time to pray. And it's during those moments of fasting that you begin to realize really how much time and thought and energy that you put into not just, not just physical food, but just physical things in general. And how much time you give to those things It brings spiritual insight. It brings wisdom. It starves the flesh. It humbles us. It enables the Spirit to reveal our spiritual condition so that we can hear it and know it and and take hold of it. The other is a mind and mouth that is full of Scripture. Now, let me tell you something. Quoting Scripture like Jesus did, that's not going to make make Satan just run away. I mean, you notice he quoted Scripture in the beginning. He didn't run away. In fact, at one point, he quotes Scripture back to Jesus. Now, he took it out of its context, but let me tell you something. That's the way it works. That's exactly the way it works. But this book gave gives our minds something else to think about and to replace the devil's lies. It's more than thinking about Scripture. It is thinking Scripture, okay? Thinking Scripture. I I, I read this, and I I plan to do this myself um, because I thought this is great. 
so this is the way he kind of applies this. He, he's got a little note, notebook, a little journal, and he, he, he's written out things that he believes that Satan is telling th- that are lies and deceptions. Maybe it's something about himself, things that he said about himself or thinks about himself, or things that he hears in society, whatever it is, those things that you won't attend to believe, and he writes those things down. And he says, and then I pray and I ask the Father to reveal scripture that would combat these lies and he says sometimes they come immediately sometimes he says it may be days or weeks but he says when you receive that that scripture to the lies the truth he said write it down so that the next time you're tempted by these lies you go back and you look at it and you fill your mind with truth And over time, it will begin to reprogram you, which is really what Romans 12 is all about, that we shouldn't be conformed to this world. We need to be transformed. How? The renewal of our minds. Folks, the spiritual disciplines are the way that we fight against the world and Satan and against our own flesh. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not real sure I ever received the Spirit. And you may think that because, you know, I just seem to continue to sin, the same sin, over and over again. Every day I'm just continuing to do those things that I know is wrong, but I continue to do them. So I just wonder, do I have the Holy Spirit? But let me tell you this, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you trusted Him for your salvation and you have confessed his name and you were immersed in baptism you have the spirit in you but once again we ask the wrong question is the spirit in me the real question is does the spirit have me does the spirit have me have I fully surrendered to him Am I filling my life with things that I shouldn't be filling it with? Do I live for self-gratification? Because the flesh, our desires have to be dominated. They have to be controlled. So we have to ask ourselves, what do I put into my mind? What am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I reading? What kind of things am I involved in? Because all of those things affect us. And we can spend hours a day filling our minds with these lies and we cut ourselves off from the Spirit and truth. If you don't feel like the Spirit of God indwells in you, it's because you are filling your mind with the things of the world and you're living a life that isn't pleasing to God. So, Got some water. I need a volunteer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not after, I told Peyton I was going to do that. So I've got some Alka-Seltzer here. And I'm going to put Alka-Seltzer in this glass. It's in there. It's not doing anything, is it? But now, if I open this thing, I drop it in. 
all of a sudden, the Alka-Seltzer just permeates the water. Both of these have, the, have Alka-Seltzer in them. But only one is the Alka-Seltzer permeating the water. You ask yourself, do I have the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, if you, what I mentioned a moment ago, if that's you, you have the Spirit in you. But if you're not open to God's truth, if you are more open to living your own kind of life, if you're living a life that is, that is pleasing to yourself, to gratify your own pleasure, the Spirit is not going to work in that environment. This is what Galatians says. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And notice he says, if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against, against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The way we fight the flesh and win is not through willpower. It's just not. You're not going to read in here that says, listen, Christian, you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Do what's right. You know what to do. Never does it say, you know, get in front of a mirror and just slap yourself a few times and tell yourself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. You know what it says? It says live by the Spirit. That's what it says. Live by the Spirit. We need access to a power, folks, that is beyond us. It is the same reason that the Bible by itself cannot make us or help us in the long run to live right. Paul said in Romans 8, he says, look, the law was weakened by the flesh. He said, just could not do it. And he also says in Romans that the law is good. But he says that was the problem. They could not live out God's commands because they were sabotaged by the flesh. Thankfully, he goes on. He says they're weakened by the flesh, they could, what they could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Spirit. 